The Guardian. Welcome back to this second episode of Deep Blue Notes. In the first episode of this series, myself and fellow sound recordist Tony Myatt travelled to the west coast of Mexico. We're hoping to record the underwater vocalisations of blue whales and learn more about these magnificent animals in the process. One reason we were out in the Sea of Cortez was to make recordings for a large-scale surround sound installation called Seaphony something which was being produced in Berlin as part of the celebration for the United Nations Decade of the Oceans, which opens in May 2021. Diana Schneidermeyer and Ina Kruger are producing Seafony, and I called Diana and Ina to see just what had inspired them to commission this soundscape installation through their organisation, Oceans 21. Oceans 21 is a non-profit organization who does projects around the topic of the oceans with immersive storytelling to raise awareness and knowledge. What we have learned so far about the power of immersive storytelling, that we can put up some projects that shed light on, on the fascination, but also on certain problems that the oceans have to reach people to reach the audience on an intellectual as well as an emotional level to create awareness and uh, to contribute to the conversation of the ocean. One of the things that's always interested me is where the idea for the project came from, how it originated. Could you tell me something about that? Suddenly I discovered this underwater sound world and Chris, I discovered your work <laughs> and I was really, really fascinated of these hunting siren songs of the Antarctic under the ice. I never heard something like that before. Then I got deeper into these things beneath the ocean surface and I was really intrigued. And um, then I did some research on your ambisonic works and the installations. And I thought, well, let's do something like that. All the things we don't know, all the things that are not really understood, all the wonders, the fascination, but even the endangerment. Now to make a project that is focusing on sound and the immersive power of sound, that was one of the key things. What we want to achieve is to get the audience to uh, literally feel themselves inside this ocean world, this acoustic ocean soundscape in this great installation, the symphony and um, that they, they get the feeling to be inside and to really live within this environment, to hear, to feel the beauty and the extraordinary soundscapes of the ocean. And we want to achieve that people would immerse themselves into it. And when they go out, that they um, think about, how can I conserve it, this beauty? What can I do?
Back in Loreto, Mexico, Dr. Diane Gendron has been studying blue whales in the Sea of Cortez for more than three decades. I spoke to Diane over a slightly crackly phone line so I could learn more about the animals I was in Loreto to record. And I was surprised to learn that we shared a similar inspiration in at least one aspect of our work, the way that we approach spending time trying to put ourselves in close proximity to animals. But I started off our call by asking Diane about how she came to study whales a journey that had taken her away from her native Canada, where she was visiting when I called her, to Mexico, where she's usually based. My first meeting, let's say, with, with whales were at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington with my parents. I was, I was about eight years old, and I saw blue whales hanging on the ceiling. It really uh, impressed me. My brothers were running with the dinosaur, but I was just, like, really interested in this weird shape animal. But it's way after that that my interest for the sea brought me to the whales. And then uh, by uh, studying the whales and having all those questions with no answer, just, like, you know, it blew my mind. Every question I had, there was no answer. So um, I started to um, answer some questions. And then I traveled to Mexico to observe blue whales there in Baja. I just fell in love with the place. It's a really wild area, beautiful desert and sea. And I had that first question, you know, I first went there, it was 86, and there was very few blue whales. And then I started reading about El Nino. I didn't know what this phenomenon was. And, and then I realized, wow, maybe, uh, you know, the whales are changing their distribution when there's El Nino because there's less food because we knew they, they were feeding frequently. And so I decided to uh, do my master in Mexico. Everybody was telling me, you're going the wrong way. People are coming up here to study. But I was saying, well, the whales are over there. But I'll tell you something. When I start to work with whales, the way whales were studied or still study is to get very close to it, take pictures, and maybe take a biopsy, you know, probably take a biopsy or put a tag on or whatever, just to learn about a little bit about the whale, you know, getting pictures and all that. And so I've done that for many years, maybe 15 years. Then I realized I knew the animal pretty much, you know. And I was inspired by a researcher that worked on elephant, Dr. Poole. Oh, Joyce Poole, yeah. I read her book and her book about, you know, following males. And uh, I was inspired. I thought, well, I would never be able to follow a male elephant in the forest, no, but I think I can follow whales, do whales. And I think I can follow individual I know. And so I, in 2009, that's when I start to follow one whale every day or two whales every day. And that's when I realized I didn't know nothing about blue whales. Nothing. Their behavior, to, to know them, you have to 
observe them and not interact with them, just leave them alone and just observe what's going on. And I'm still fascinating. I can't stop. You know, every year I can't stop. I, I know, I know, I will see something different. It's very slow, kind of uh, research. It's not, you know, it's not what we call sexy kind of research because it's it's really slow. You know, you have two whales following one day, and how many days you go at sea during a season. You know, so it's it the knowledge we acquire is it's slow but it's so interesting yeah absolutely right as you say it's time consuming but it, you acquire a deep knowledge of, of animals in that way and and that's important work because that's as you su- suggest you'd uncover and discover things that are significant to the animals that we in a sort of transient visit w- would just miss and that we want to protect too you know sometimes you look at the researcher, how they, they do research on whales, and it doesn't look like they really want to protect them, you know, tagging them and biopsy them and this and that. But it, this is also important. But in, in my view, it's much more interesting to observe them than interact with them, you know, taking something from them. Yeah. And so I've been working, studying blue whales in Loreto for over 30 years. I can understand why you were drawn down to that astonishing, magical place. But what draws blue whales to that part of the Sea of Cortez, do you think? I think it's the fact that it's inside sea. So it's protected maybe for the babies, for the calves. But also the blue whales, at least in the Northeast Pacific, they continuously look for food. They don't fast and they feed uh, not just opportunistically. They, if there's no food, they go away. They change their distribution to find food. That's interesting. And is the, is the population of blue whales there, are they resident or, or do they migrate? They migrate. There's some exception, but they use the west coast of Baja for a while. And then Alaska and Canadian, B.C., and then to California and then south. But we think there's another area where they feed in the summer, which is not off California. Have you listened to blue whales? Have you done much bioacoustic work? A lot. Okay. A lot. Could you describe some of the basic call types and, and how you label them? One specific vocalization that is very easy to explain, which I understand, are what the males, when they're calling, probably to uh, let other males know they are there or inviting females. You know, these calls, they would sound like a submarine, like do, do, do. But also, these calls, that males do are used to characterize a separate population. In like a dialect, do you mean? Yeah, exactly. So the call that the males are doing in the Northeast Pacific are very different than the ones in the North Atlantic or Antarctic. But also it looks like there's a change in the call. It's not just like a submarine, always, always the same. There's a variation, a little bit like 
you know, sperm whale coda, when they do tick, 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 and they stop, and tick, 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 and they stop. And others do uh, tick, 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 tick. Well, with blue whales, it's a little bit similar. They would do like click, doom, doom, click, doom, and then stop, and then doom, 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 doom. So this all type of variation, but very powerful. Listening to Diane talk about her slow and time-consuming work really puts my short four-day trip to Loreto in context. It's such a small window to spend time with these animals. So far, we've been lucky enough to observe a number of whales just metres away from our boat. And at first light on day two of our journey, we were really optimistic about being able to record their vocalizations. Well, it's about 5.30 a.m. on day two, and we've got an early start this morning because we're going to drive down to a port just south of here and then take a, a shorter boat journey out to the spot between a couple of islands where we saw at least three animals yesterday. But at the moment, it's still nice, pitch dark. You can see the lights flickering in the harbor hear a cockerel which you hear in most places in the world early in the morning the best thing is it's quite calm and mild palm fronds are just moving gently so the conditions look like they've improved overnight i'm just looking forward to getting out there now we've got a target position and we've seen some whales i feel confident that we're in a really good place or we will be in an hour or so when we've got our boat and we're out on the water first light we've just come south down to Puerto Escondido and our boat has just been reversed into the water with us in the back. Something I've never experienced before. We've just sailed out to the exact spot which I marked on my GPS yesterday where we first saw two blue whales. And the boat's now idling as we all scan the horizon for a blue whale blow, but also listening out for it. I was surprised yesterday how far the sound of them exhaling travels over the water. stayed in the spot where we sailed out to this morning for just over three hours and the conditions have been perfect, the sea is absolutely flat calm. We're in exactly the same place where we saw up to three blue whales yesterday and um, we've not seen or heard anything apart from a very very distant blow after an hour or so. So, so reluctantly we're going to try another location that quite often I think is you need to just hang in there, but um, uh, the captain says there's another good location two kilometers away, so we're just going over to check that out. And before too long, the blue whales appeared. There is a whale. 
it was time to drop our hydrophones off the side and listen. Right, let's stop and get the hydrophones from quite a large group of animals. Are you stop everything? Yep. Yeah. 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 This is what we could hear above the water. And this is the sound below the surface recorded on our hydrophones. We've dropped the hydrophones overboard because we heard a blow some distance away, it might be a kilometre away. And so we're just listening out to see if we can, uh, the potential of hearing something. And at the moment, there's no boat traffic, which is good, but there's no other sound other than that of a sort of faint distant snap, crackle of pop of crustaceans somewhere 2,000 feet below us on the seabed. the older I get, the more time I spend listening and the less time recording. So I'm, I'm very careful now about pressing the record button. But I'm also conscious that you do need to give your ears a break because when we put those headphones on, we're, well, I'm listening for a sound that I've never recorded before. I understand it's in a very low frequency register and I would imagine it could be quite easily missed. So that process of listening creatively on the boat here is actually quite wearing so you need to every certainly at least once an hour you need to take a break take the headphones off and what the great thing is here is you can look at this far horizon where the sea of cortez meets the sky two very different shades of blue and being able to rest your eyes on a distant horizon and open your ears because at the moment it's very quiet it's a really good recharging experience We rarely get the opportunity to listen. You know, we hear everything, but we spend most of our lives blocking out noise pollution. So in a place like this, you can come and you can open your ears because you can not only see to the horizon, but hear right to the horizon. Because we've been picking up blows from some of these blue whales as the surface that Liberto said could be five or seven kilometers away. And the sound just flies over the surface of the sea. So when I'm listening creatively, I'm aware of my surroundings. Uh, in a way, I'm sort of interacting with it. I'm making decisions all the time about what I think to what on the track. And it's not a soporific activity. It's creative. I find it really stimulating, actually, because it also feeds into ideas for my work when I'm going to be composing with these recordings later on. Somewhere like this, it can come and open your ears and listen and engage with two very different environments, the surface and the deep ocean. Coming up in the final episode of this series, Tony and I head back out onto the ocean for our final few days recording. 
and we visit a local organisation in Loreto that's working to protect the region's wildlife. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.